0: Hello and welcome to episode 346 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Melrose, Massachusetts. I'm Nate Mavis and with me is nobody today. That's right. I am going it alone today and telling you about where I see poker, what I'm doing in poker, what I think you maybe should be doing in poker, and what's going on with the new Patreon. That last thing is sort of secondary. It occurred to me that although I think that regular listeners all know the origin story of the podcast and some of the motivation and early history of it, not all of them do, and it's actually relevant to listening. Like You might actually have reason to care about it if you're thinking about how to improve at poker or how to be in the poker world. The podcast started after Andrew had interviewed me uh, in a never-aired and probably unpreserved interview for a podcast uh, that he never got off the ground. Not long after that, I wrote to him and said, hey, if you're trying to podcast and have not actually done it, maybe we should do one together. That was September 2012. The rest is history. It's been uh, over eight years that we've been at it. And I mentioned that not just to reminisce, but to say that some of the goals that we had then, or at least goals that I had then, uh, really have to be different now. Um, I wanted to do this podcast in part because I thought that poker was really badly underexplained, under uh, historicized, under studied, as a discipline and as a cultural tradition. And I wanted to just get down in some fixed form important things about poker. Another way to say this is that I wanted to do for poker what Kevin Goldstein and Jason Parks had done for baseball in the Baseball Prospectus podcast, which is take what baseball was really like, not what you'd read in a couple inches in a newspaper, and get it out into the world. The difference there is that there were already a lot of books about baseball, and if you knew where to go to find them, the very best blogs, the very best books, the very best magazines, et cetera. You could get some real sense of the baseball world as, as it actually operated, uh, you know, even if you weren't in the game. I am not sure that any such thing was available in 2012 for poker. Maybe it still isn't, but there's a lot more material out there. But really what's different about poker is that it's come so far. Uh, so there is more media. Uh, I think the game has has changed, but there's more uh, availability for you know casual people to figure out what's going on at the very top end of strategy. And I also think that you know. There's just been eight more years of you know, literature and blogging and books and comments and interviews where you know, it's a, just a little bit easier to get a sense of what poker is actually like. But the the, the strategy of poker is completely different. Um, here I have to make a confession, which is that when I started this podcast, I sort of thought deep down, or at least felt deep down, that not that I played as well as Andrew, not that I knew as much as Andrew about poker, but that I could kind of hold my own. And that if we talked about poker, you know, there would be some times when I might, you know, get the best of him in a in a poker conversation. Not that it was ever competitive, but you know, I, I, I thought I really had something to add at a pretty high level of, of discussion about poker tactics. And if you go back and look at some of our early shows with uh, like Ben Wilanowski. that strategy segment, then I think it would have been really advanced um, in the context of poker thinking at its time. But that was a long time ago. And when I think about what I'm doing in poker these days and what a listener of me should think about me. The The first very important thing to note is that I'm bad at poker. You are listening to somebody who is bad at poker. Uh, Andrew has been studying the game just about every day for, for these intervening years, and he was really good to start with, and he's a, a true bona fide expert. And I've been off programming computers most of that time and uh, changing diapers and doing such things. And, you know, the game has at the highest levels, uh, really completely passed me by. Um, I used to fly out to Las Vegas and, and confidently sit in games that I would not confidently sit in now. I, I think you know some of the mixed games that I I, I would happily play in regardless of the lineup um, with I think good results. Um, I, I would not do that now, or at least I'd pay very close attention to the lineup. So if you hear me say something, that doesn't mean it's uh, it's coming from an expert perspective. Um, I do think that the combination of uh, Andrew and or Carlos uh, and me is, is, is a good one. And uh, I, I do study the game, but I think it's important to recognize that, and this is not just about me, this is maybe about you too, that just being a person with some card sense who thinks about the game, who plays, who tries to play thoughtfully, that doesn't get you nearly as far at the higher levels as it used to. So, um, yeah, lesson number one from today's podcast. I'm a pretty bad poker player. So that's my origin story with Andrew and one reason why it's relevant today or how it's different today. Uh, What about Carlos? Um, Carlos was this great ball of sunshine I was introduced to at the World Series in 2013, I think. I went out there. Uh, I just heard about this guy who was studying really hard and doing all the things that people are supposed to do to learn and to grind and build a bankroll. Um, but most people do not actually do. And Carlos was just a extremely frugal, extremely hardworking grinder back then. And he's been working every day for the last eight years to get better at poker. And now he's really, really good. So, you know, good for him. Um, I I guess my point here is, is mostly that, um, that much determined work, like it helps to have Carlos's aptitude, but, um, where Carlos was coming from his beginning point eight years ago has almost nothing to do with how good he is now. It's the compounding effect of how hard he's worked and how well he's managed his bankroll from then till now. That has put him where he is, uh, and if he had had a you know a, a a bit better head start, if he had run one better book in 2012 or one you know better or worse blog post, had one fewer misconception, one more misconception, it wouldn't really make any difference to where he is now. Um, one thing that they say in startup land is that a little bit of slope beats a lot of y-intercept, and uh, that's certainly true for learning poker. Um, so what are my goals now? Well, the first thing to notice that poker is a lot different now. And I think some people who write into the show, who talk to me about poker, who come to Andrew for coaching or Carlos for coaching, um, they want to know how to learn now, given where poker is, uh, just as a game. The first thing I want to say is that it's more important to play well. And that sounds extremely obvious, but I think it's not. Um, It used to be very important just to put in hours, um, and things like game selection were really important. I'm sure game selection is still very important, but if if you look at the mixture of all the things that went into being a good poker player, like knowing how to play well, actually playing well, selecting a game, putting in hours, networking, managing your bankroll... All those things are still important now, but the baseline of how well you play uh, matters a lot more. So um, I think it's actually a lot less obvious than you would think (laughs) when you first hear it. Um, If you're going to play poker now, it's more important to play well. So what else is different about poker now? Um, There's the interpersonal aspect. I know when I came up in poker, there was a great deal of emphasis on uh, player types, learning to recognize player types, and learning how to categorize your opponents. My own sense, and people might disagree with me about this, and if you do, I'd love to hear about it, um, I think player types are a lot less important than they used to be. And this is for two reasons. One is that we've gradually, um, accurately, but not, not only is this true, it's something that has gotten into the poker world. It's a it's a widespread cultural belief. Um, the idea that there is a unique best way to play poker and that improving is just a matter of getting closer to that. You know, people used to be pluralists about good poker play much more than they are now. It's like you can be a good tight player, a good loose player. It's like you know, this person can be Howard Letterer and that person can be Gus Hansen and they can both win a lot of money, you know, that that was something that people said a lot, you know, it's more important to be true to yourself than to try to play in some specific way. Um, I don't think you'll hear many people saying that now. (laughs) Um, I think for a lot of reasons, uh, people are not going to tell you to emulate Howard Letterer these days. So... That's one thing. So you're not going to have people happily keeping themselves in buckets. So it's less important for you to put them into buckets. I think the other point is that the mass culture of poker isn't really what it was. It isn't really where it was. So poker is composed much more of of little communities, little, little pockets of culture. And I think there's just there, are, there are many fewer widespread archetypes for people to consciously or, or unconsciously uh, emulate or, or live up to. So, those are my arguments for why it's it's less important to develop a library of player types than fit an opponent into one of those player types. Again, agree or disagree, but uh, in my more recent experience playing poker, I have found that to be the case. So what should you do if you want to improve? Um, Well, if you want to improve, you should learn to play better. And that, again, probably sounds pretty obvious. It probably sounds maybe even tautological. Um, Again, I think it's not. Um, I think in theory, you could imagine a lot of ways to improve. Um, But what I want to say is that you should factor this idea, um, learn to play better, into two parts, the playing better part and the learning it part. So when you're trying to find out how to play better, You should try to find out things that will actually help you play better in a way that matters. Um, Again, you might think that I'm saying trivial or tautological or obvious things. And that one maybe is, you know, tautological, but it is often disregarded too. Um, When you're looking to improve, I think you should find things that actually improve your game. I know this was a leak or this points to a leak that I definitely had, um, really through my whole poker career is viewing improvement at at poker as a sort of aesthetic thing or, uh, being over systematic about it. You know, I, I like math. I like to know things from the foundations and I've thought like, well, I should just start from the beginning and learn game theory, et cetera, et cetera. And game theory is important to learn, but you know, knowing how to prove various axiom systems is probably not (laughs) very important to being good at poker. Uh, but the more important part is to think about what actually makes an EV difference in your game. And I know here I'm saying something that you've probably heard a lot of places and, and you might even be numb to, but boy, just about everybody ignores this. Um, (laughs) including myself, it's very, very hard to do. Um, I think it's important to treat improvement at poker as something like an optimal search problem. So it's it's less like learning to play a scale on the piano um, or, or do a perfect, uh, I don't know, or do a perfect double axle or something like that. And it's a lot more like searching for leaks and plugging up the biggest one. It's a lot more like balancing a budget or, or getting a good budget where it's a lot less important to figure out how to save two cents on a gallon of milk in expectation. You know, you could imagine this figuring out where the milk is going to be cheaper, or going to different grocery stores on different days or factoring in the cost of gas and optimizing, uh, you know, like, like, like minimizing the total number of trips to the store. Maybe the, you put a time value in here, et cetera. But like the amount that you can possibly save on on milk, supposing that you drink milk, um, optimizing your milk budget for the year, probably, probably for most people under most conditions uh, has almost nothing to do with your overall financial health. It's a lot more important just to track all your spending and all your income and figuring out how to optimize your overall financial picture which by the way, could have a lot more to do with learning how to earn more income than with uh, learning how to spend less. But that's a, that's a separate issue. You have to view it, I suggest you view optimizing a budget or at least that some people would profitably, so to speak, view optimizing a budget uh, as a search problem more than an optimization problem. You know, There are some people who enjoy the art of frugality Uh, who enjoy minimizing expenditures for its own sake, uh, who enjoy the sort of nuts and bolts of all that. And that's great. Um, But, you know, for people who practically want to save money, uh, it's more important to, you know, do an audit to figure out where your money's coming from and where it's going, and then just finding your biggest leaks and plugging them. And, Again, I think the analogy to poker here is really good because you don't have to plug the leak all the way. I think it can be wrong to say, "Oh, where's the perfect where's the perfect alternative to what I'm doing now?" You know, it's like, "Oh, I'm again, the the budget alternative would be something like I'm going to completely stop eating out. I'm going to you know, never spend money frivolously in this or that way." And that might be the best thing to do, but um, the practically better step, the more efficient step per hour of time or unit of of effort that you spend, is likely to be figuring out how to cut that by half or twenty percent or eighty percent or or sixty five percent. You know, practically speaking, if if you were let's say you're somebody who's trying to to rein in your budget a little bit, if you were to find maybe five out of your eight biggest leaks and plug them all halfway. That doesn't sound very successful. You know, I just found five eighths of them and, and I only plugged them halfway on average. Um, in fact, it might be a lot less satisfying. You, you might feel less good about yourself in the short run uh, than if you took some fragment of your budget, like say your grocery shopping and then optimized it, you know, 90 95 98 99% of the way. Uh but I'll bet you a lot of money the first way is more more effective. So what's the analogy to poker? You know, if you can find five out of your eight biggest leaks and plug them even a little bit, even then then you're going to be doing so much better. Um, I was just listening to Thinking Poker Daily the other day, one of the episodes that I did not co-host. And uh, somebody cold called out of the small blind with, with uh, Jack 10 offsuit. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> or maybe Andrew and I were talking about this in a different context. And Andrew had said, oh, look, I, I was just playing with solvers. And they call looser out of the small blind uh, than, than I would or that I thought was correct. And so what Andrew did, did is he didn't say like how do I play perfectly out of the small blind because that's really hard he took a very practical approach what kinds of hands are solvers playing very very roughly what are they doing with them after the flop um are they playing them in a way that I can emulate or should I still fold some of the borderline ones uh and and how much money are they making doing that and I think this is like really really valuable because it would be possible to you know just absolutely uh, smother oneself in theory upon learning something like this, uh, but Andrew did not do that. He took a very practical value-oriented approach to this this question. Like, okay, the small blind is calling more if played perfectly. You know, roughly, roughly, what are we doing about the fact that the big blind thus is going to get a good price a lot? Like, do we? keep more good hands behind to, to make three betting less profitable. Uh, how often are we checking certain kinds of flops in these three handed pots? Like if the big blind is supposed to just call a lot, you know, what, how should I think about certain kinds of flops, certain kinds of boards? How should I think about calling continuation bets with the big blind left to act all these things. Um, and I think that's like a good, Practical thing to do. I know in my past, I played a lot of three bet pots really, really badly because I I had this resistance to studying them properly until I could get a better theoretical grounding uh, about about these things and that was just really wrong. I should have just studied them more, done a bit of theory work about them and a lot of practical work about them and been less afraid to get in big pots and less afraid to make mistakes. And I should have just, um, you know, really focused on that, like realized these were important situations. I faced a lot and just like drilled it and just, you know, gotten good advice or hired a coach for a couple hours or whatever I needed to do. Um, (laughs) And that would have been like much more effective, even if I never plugged the leak 100% of the way. Even if I'd only done 30% of it, it would have saved me tons and tons of money uh, over, over those years when I was playing semi-professionally, or at least very seriously. So that's the playing better part. Um, when you're thinking about what to do, um, you know what what pieces of information to look for. Well, think about it as looking for information and looking for the highest value information. Again, in a slogan, treat this as a search problem, not as a primarily skills acquisition problem. It's not a, be, be less like an artist improving and more like uh, you know, a, a craftsperson improving or, or a budgeter improving. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to reduce the number of calories you eat, Uh, you know, it would be one thing to, you know, absolutely optimize your recipe for chicken stock. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot more important to just look overall at, at where various kinds of energy are going into and out of your system and, and going from there. So, yeah. So I said, you should try to learn to play better. I mean, if you want to improve, which maybe you don't. That's fine, by the way. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are more important to me right now than improving at poker. But insofar as you want to improve improve at poker, you should try to learn to play better. And I've just talked a little bit about the playing better part. What about the learning part? Um, you know, the good news, bad news is that, you know, bad news first, a lot of people are pretty bad at learning what they need to learn, even after they've in some sense identified what that is. The good news is that there are very reliable ways to learn. Um, I think trying to learn by sort of having something in mind and then going and playing for a while and then trying to judge how it's done. um, That's advice that used to be very, very common. I think it is still a little bit common. I think it's just too inefficient. You know, it's, um, yeah, I'm going to figure out whether calling from the small blind is good. So today I'm going to go, I'm going to play six hours of poker. I'm going to look for situations when I might've folded the small blind. And if it's close, I might consider calling. And then I'll see what happens in those pots. And then that'll help me learn about playing from the small blind. Now, that can be a good thing to do, but by itself, by itself, that is just very inefficient, almost useless, and you're just going to be swamped with variants. You'll notice that when Carlos talks about this, he talks about being a scientist, um, and but the empirical part of it, like when Carlos does this, like yes, he experiments in game, but he also puts pen to paper and really, really studies. Um, you're just not going to see enough hands out of the small blind over six hours. And even if you do play one or two or four hands differently over that time, um, you're not going to learn enough from that nothing sample to say anything in general. It might, might, might help you point in a certain direction, but um, that's just not the right way to approach it. So certainly playing can be part of this, um, but you, you need to take a more active approach. So part of that is like looking for ground truth or reliable indication when you can get it. Uh, if you have access to a solver and can find solved ranges, that's great. Uh, Andrew is fond of saying that uh, the, the the recent Acevedo book, Modern Poker Theory, I think it's called, has a bunch of solved ranges in it. You know, that's that's a lot better. That's That's news you can use or at least something you can build off of. And you know, the time it takes you to look something up in a book and think about it. That's a lot better than driving to the casino and playing poker for six hours to, play, you know, to try to extrapolate something from four hands. Um, there's also the issue about like ingesting information. Um, a lot of us are really bad at remembering things. Um, poker is not so much, <coughs> excuse me, it's not so much a memorization game. But insofar as it is a memorization game, uh, you can use research that's out there on how to memorize things really well. Um, Google Spaced Repetition or a program called Anki, A-N-K-I. You will read more than probably you want to about this. But the idea is that insofar as memorizing things can help, there are better and worse ways to memorize. And there's also like a fair amount of research about performance, about actually playing well. And I know I said earlier in this episode that that's less important than it used to be, Um, or at least I implied that. I, I still think playing well is really important. And if it is relatively less important than it used to be, that's only because having the baseline disposition to be able to play well is, I think, much more important than it used to be. Um, so really think about your performance and in particular, I think uh, having an empirical approach to this, auditing what you do and having somebody at first yourself, but ideally somebody else really go over your hands and really um, you know, use all the sample size you can get, you know, use your whole database if you can, uh, you know, look at your hands over a wide variety of situations. I think your leaks are not where you probably think they are. And you should do everything possible to try to um, examine your play in a variety of situations. There's a saying in in computation, in in programming, that the bottleneck is usually not where you think it is. Um, Even if you have good intuition about, say, algorithmic complexity or system design or whatever, if you actually profile it, if you actually take an empirical approach and look at where... Uh, either the time bottleneck is, or or where a lot of compute resources are being used up. Most of the time, in any kind of complicated system, um, or even in a lot of simple systems, it's not where you think it is. Poker is, you know, a complicated game. The way you play is complicated. Um, I, I suggest you do everything possible to remain open-minded about where your leaks are and to do everything you can to to audit your play and to improve your play and in, uh, in ways that you might not have considered. Um, I know I see a lot of autopiloting when I go to the casino or when I used to go to the casino back last year. I wonder if it'll ever open again but that's not the point. The point is um, you might autopilot a lot more than you think you do. You might play badly a lot more than you think you do or in places where you don't think you do. So, um, that's, that's the learning part. Again, uh, if you're thinking about learning to play better, you know, by play better, I mean, search for ways to play better and by learn, I mean, think about how you can actually incorporate that. That might mean using insights from, you know, performance science for, you know, know, and, and use spaced repetition, if that can help. Uh, if you need to memorize something, memorize it well. If, you're, uh, if your performance is bad in at such and such a time or in such and such a way, you actually take a scientific and empirical approach to that. Yeah, I've started talking about myself a little bit and about uh, computation a little bit. Um, once again, this week, the advertiser on the show is me. Uh, this is, as I record this, this is my first working day Uh again, independent. I'm very happy about this. I'm grateful for the time I spent at Alphabet, Uh, but now I am flying my own flag. Uh, I'm a computer professional. People hire me to build websites and analyze data and do other programming tasks for them. I'm a professional. I make software that works. My median client is somebody who needs a website built and who needs some sort of machine learning, data analysis, some sort of data adjacent thing or data, uh, or data task adjacent to the web plumbing also done and where my care comparative advantage is, is generally, um, in a having it sort of deployed and tested properly, but b in bringing a diversity of skills to the project so that, you know, either I can do it all myself or I can do it with a small team and get something that works uh, done. Uh, my preferred technologies are Django, Angular, TensorFlow, you know, the whole Python scientific computing ecosystem. All that said, I'm pretty flexible when it comes to tools and technologies. Uh, my real comparative advantage is actually in some of the stuff that I just talked about. You know, I, I, I learned to code better. I, I've uh, been plugging my leaks for, for a good while now. And my Anki deck for for computer stuff is pretty big now. So uh, working to improve every day. And I've got a little bit of bandwidth available now because uh, I just went out independently. So if you or somebody you know needs something like that done, um, nate at fastmail.fm. That's nate at fastmail.fm. You can also get me on Twitter at Nate Mavis, or really just find me on the internet, natemavis.com, N A T E M E Y V I S.com. That concludes the advertising uh, portion of the show, except insofar as what I'm about to say is another ad. Um, I talked about improving at poker every day. Um, it may sound self serving, you know, it may sound like I. I recommend that because now I'm doing a paywall podcast with Andrew and Carlos where we go through a hand a day or, or a poker lesson every day. Um, but really, it's the other way around. Um, I suggested a podcast like that because I think that's a good way to develop healthy mental habits at poker and a good way to improve at poker. So let's just say I know you're not going to subscribe to thinking poker daily that is fine you know we all are grateful for your listenership whether or not we ever see a penny from anything you do um with it but i do think that you know dailiness as tommy angelo would have it is the key a big key at least to improving at poker um you know really really try to take something and make some measurable progress uh it's it is said about writing that the biggest enemy to finishing a book or, or having a productive writing life, it's not so much a less productive day. It's the zero productivity day. It's the day, uh, that, that you didn't write, you know, in the most important part of being a writer is being somebody who let's say sits down to write at least 300 days a year and you really get something accomplished at least 300 days a year. Um, when I was a grad student, that was really important to me, not just with writing, but with making intellectual progress on what I was doing. And I think if you're trying to improve at poker, the, the surest way to do that from a high level perspective, you know, besides the, the sort of tactical stuff that, that I discussed in the first half hour of this show, but um, making a goal of improving as often as possible and or studying in a focused way. Maybe you're a professional, maybe dailiness is not in the cards for you in improving at poker. Frankly, it's it's not for me. You know, I do the podcast, I do learn that way, but, you know, beyond the work I do with thinking poker daily, there are definitely days when I don't think about poker at all. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll it'll mean I'm not progressing at poker as fast as I could, but I have priorities other than that right now. You know the things that I do want to get better at, I do every day, and I I find a way to make tangible intellectual or sort of um, you know whatever whatever the relevant kind of progress is in that domain. I find a way to do that. Um, I don't think I'm special in this regard. This is not about me. Um, my point in saying this is that, like, my money is where my mouth is. I think if you are serious about improving at poker, a great thing to do is to find a way that will cause you to make intellectual progress every day. And by the way, if you're not a particularly active listener, like if, if the way you engage the active learning part of your brain is more by... You know, reading or writing or doing the arithmetic or whatever, than than listening, uh, then that means that you should not subscribe to Thinking Poker Daily, at least not for the purpose of making this kind of daily incremental intellectual progress. Um, I do think, however, that you should find some way to do that, find some spot and learn a little bit about it every day. Um, have a queue of situations that you legitimately don't know, and you know. This doesn't have to take long, but uh, find something, you know, either it's a solver, uh, a trusted friend, a conversation, something that you can put pen or paper to. It can it can be just a couple minutes, but what I would recommend is at the end of it, be able to say in a clear way, the actual progress you made. I used to think this. Now I think this. I was doing this wrong. Now I'm doing this better. I didn't know this range. Now I do know this range. And I have a plan for remembering what that range is. the The blocks can be really, really small. You know, and by blocks I mean the chunks that you break off every day. Yeah, if it's if it's uh, there's the old saying about eating an elephant. You know, how how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's uh, yeah, it just it it matters a lot less how big your bites are, and a lot more that you do that, that 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 you keep on taking a bite. You know that you really chew and swallow every day you know just it's don't don't just sit there with the elephant on the plate in front of you you got it you got to chew and swallow that's really important um and if you actually write it down then you'll have something to refer to you know can you even if you're not making something like an anki deck or or some high-powered um, memorial prosthetic uh just having a list of things that you learned or, or that you know, like some of them will point the way to other things. It's like, oh, here's a range, but now I don't know what this calling range is. Like, oh, I know more about the small blind, but now I'm confused about the big blind. It's like, well, I know a lot more about playing pairs from early position pre-flop, but what does that mean about suited connectors? Yeah, As you actually understand things, <laughs> that that's the thing about actually understanding is that the more you find yourself actually understanding the more questions will open up for you so um if you if you make notes about what you're learning then you won't run out of really high value things to study later and again when you're yeah i i i would actually suggest you maintain something like a sorted list of things to um to study and uh, you know every day just pop the max value off the heap you know to take the highest value thing that you think you can learn take five or ten or if you have time you know 30 45 60 minutes really study that thing try to digest it and then try to summarize it you know really make yourself a memo even if that's just 10 words in a in a spreadsheet somewhere in a document somewhere pen and paper whatever it is I think that's the way to improve um Again, I don't do any of those things. Not about poker. I do them about other things, like, you know, programming computers and and such. Um, but that is how, you know, if I were to be taking on a poker student, uh, sort of in the Tommy Angelo tradition of of not just critiquing hands, but, you know, molding the overall game and and you know, the the whole poker life. I think that's the approach I would take. So, You know, that's a a brief history, not a whole history, but a a brief comparison of where the podcast was eight years ago and where it is now, where I was eight years ago and where I am now. And again, the summary there is eight years ago, I was pretty good at poker, comparatively speaking. Now I'm really not. And and I'm okay with that. Um, And if you're listening to this, uh, trying to get better at poker. Yeah, you know, hopefully I've said some things that will clarify your thinking and and you know make you make you pull in the right direction. You, know, you can pull a lot of weight around. You know, go to any gym, you'll see a lot of people pulling a lot of weight around in a way that is not going to help their bodies. You got to do it in a focused way. There's a happy flip side though, is that if you do do it in a focused way, you can actually improve your body a lot with modest, not not trivial, but modest amounts of effort. So. If you really want to want to lift that weight at the poker table, if you want to be stronger at the poker table, um, you know, do do good focused workouts, you know, pull that weight in in the right focused way in the right direction. And uh, sincerely, I hope you all have a great day. Take care. We'll talk to you next week.